You were sharing something about Korra. Dude, I'm 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 literally still reading it right now and it is like it's it's alarming because it shows how serious God is. God basically had set up something for him to follow and Korra said I, I'm not going to do that. Right? Like I feel like I could do this over here and you know whatever. I'm not going to follow Moses. He should have followed Moses. And that was a correct system to follow at that time. It's the best they had. It's what God told them to do at that time. When I read the Old Testament law, when I read how God acted and his view towards us, our mankind without the blood of Christ, it was our sin. And just the simple fact that their pride and they looked at Moses not as though God is sending him, not not as though God, you know, called him, you know, at the burning bush and these 250 men. I mean, you're not just talking about a small group of people, but 250 men. And they essentially say, look, Moses, you're no better than us. We are holy. Why are you leading us? And, and Moses' response is he falls down. Like initially, he just falls down and said, look, this isn't me. And then he says, let God show what is, what is, what is real, what, who is, who he's separated for himself. Maybe some people might point at us and say, you know, because we have left institutional church, if you will, those are men of Korah. They're, they're rebelling against, you know, religious leaders, against their pastors. So at the bottom, I haven't read all of it, but whatever commentary they have here at the bottom that it says principle number 24, inexcusable disloyalty, which that that strikes me because that was a word that I heard a lot when I left the church that we were in, being disloyal to the pastor, not disloyal to God, but disloyal to the pastor. And then it says we must never become a part of a conspiracy against godly spiritual leaders, which that's essentially also what we were accused of. Now, mind you, I never said anything against, you know, the pastor, had no desire to split the church or pull people away from the teaching or anything there. Literally, the only difference that I was doing as I was when I was teaching, when I was preaching and what I believe is that Christ is enough. I don't I don't need it's not it's not the works or the fruit that makes me holy, righteous, spiritual, anything of that nature. It's not those works that make me enough. It is simply Christ that makes me enough. It's not that I'm not supposed to do those works or can't do those works or anything of that nature. That's not the topic. But the difference is that we believe that Christ's righteousness alone is what makes us holy. Jesus Christ came to this earth, died, was buried and rose again. And then he gave us his spirit. He said, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. I'm going to be with you. I'm in you. I am through you. I will lead you. I will guide you. You have no need that any man teach you. And what do we do? We turn right around and say, let's follow one man. Let's set up one man in front of us and have him tell us everything to do. You know, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> God, that's not of God. God does not prompt us to do that. That's the flesh. We need somebody to look at. The first thing the apostles looked for after they received the Holy Spirit was not a pastor. It wasn't a pastor. It wasn't one man to lead them. They continued on as one body, being led of the Spirit, Jesus, plus nothing. 
And I think that's very important. I think, you know, people that are still trying to follow the law and, and the Torah don't realize, don't realize how serious it was, how hard it was, how holy it was, you know? I mean, people are dying, <laughs> you know? I mean, it's really serious stuff here. I mean, sometimes I feel like, yeah, maybe we ought to preach more law because the law condemns to just to, for you to realize or for people to realize that there is no hope under the law. There is no, not a chance. It, it wasn't meant for you to thrive. The system wasn't meant for you to thrive. It was meant to condemn. When we really take a look at it, an honest look at it, it's like, man, thank God for Jesus. Where would we be? If it wasn't for Jesus, I think people that are trying to follow the law just don't realize the demand that the law has and don't realize that it requires perfection. It doesn't require you trying. It doesn't require your best shot. It doesn't require do your best and God will do the rest. That's not what the law is. It, it, you either do it or you don't. And here's a consequence if you don't do it. And if you do it, here's your reward. But nobody does it, so you don't get a reward. You get a consequence, and here's a consequence. Death. <laughs> That's it, death, you know? You're going to be cursed. If we go back in, in, in those days to the early church that had, had experienced their whole life and their whole culture, the law, you know, and all of a sudden now there's grace, and Jesus came, and he died for us, you know, why would you go back to that system having Jesus, you know, and, and especially it was so fresh to them. I believe we just don't know the law good enough, or we don't know it, how it really was or the demand. We really don't know how holy God is and how perfect God is and how just God is. And all that was fulfilled in the person of Jesus, of course. We do need to go back and look at his holiness and look how just God is, you know, and look at his wrath. I think I think sometimes we do need to go back and look at those things to be able to even ap appreciate Jesus even more and to realize that we can't do any of that. They say God doesn't change. No, he doesn't. But his covenant changed. God didn't treat them like that up until they got to Mount Sinai. Not one person out of the Israelite nation coming out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, going into the wilderness. Nobody was judged. God didn't get angry at anyone. He provided for them everything they needed. It was 100% grace. Abraham never went through that. Isaac never went through that. Jacob never went through that. Their descendants never went through that until those people looked at God and said, we are able to do everything you tell us to do. And the lack of faith that was there prompted a response from God called the law, where he held them to a standard that they could not achieve. And Galatians actually says that that's why the law was given. It was added because of transgressions. And it was added to show the fact that we are unable to keep God's standard. You say, I want to have standards. I want to have these rules and laws that I follow for my life so that I look separate. And I'm going to do the law so that I can get God's blessing on my life. That actually doesn't bring God's blessing. It brings his judgment. It brings his condemnation. He looks at that and says, what do you think? My law's a joke. You think you can keep it sometime and break it another time and flippantly just go ask for forgiveness like the 
shed blood of my son wasn't enough. So then Paul comes in Galatians and I'm pretty sure Paul was upset because he had just called these people basically stupid in our vernacular. Galatians 3, he comes in and says, you stupid Galatians, who who hindered you from obeying the truth? That's Jesus, by the way, John 14. You know, so it's like he says, behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, circumcision was a matter of the law. Christ shall profit you nothing. And he clarifies this. Profit you nothing. Now, he clarifies in the next verse, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor, a debtor to do the whole law. To do the whole law. What's the whole law? We're talking animal sacrifices here. We're talking the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Keep it holy. Keep it separate. No emails. Can't mow your yard. Can't do anything. Don't go bus visiting. That's work. See, he said the whole law. You are supposed to do the whole law. If you want to keep the law to be right with God, you have to do the whole thing. And if you're not, it's a joke. We're making a joke out of God's law. So, so here's one, here's one that I've heard, you know, so the law was given, we're supposed to do it. And, uh, aspects of the law that don't apply today are the aspects that were given to us in the new Testament that Jesus tells us, or the apostles tell us directly that we don't have to do. For example, you know, the animal sacrifices. So there's there, I've heard that Hebrews 10 in that that's all referring to animal sacrifices, you know, when it mentions the blood of bulls and goats, you know, so therefore, because of Jesus and because it's clearly written in God's word, we don't have to do animal sacrifices. Second, the dietary laws, you know, and when, when Peter saw the vision from heaven, you know, and, and, and all that, you know, the, the animal sacrifices were, were done away with. But besides that, everything else we we just we must do. There were directions and orders given to us, and as if the captain or the sergeant doesn't change the orders, then the orders are still in in place, unless the orders were changed. And the only orders that were changed, the only law that was changed, was dietary and animal sacrifices. And I think there is one more that I that I've heard that would it have been the Sabbath? Could have been the Sabbath, huh? Because because people hate the Sabbath. <laughs> you know. We Americans, we love to make our dollar yeah. on a Saturday. Yeah. 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 So I I mean, I do. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So if I was gonna like start picking and choosing, picking and choosing. I, I'd kick the Sabbath. Kick the Sabbath right? out, you know, and you have to have mm-hmm. the bacon because you know, they love bacon, you know. So right. Right. Pork, yeah. Barbecue. And we can't sacrifice animals because it's against the law, you know, or, right. you know, so we can't do that right. one. So we have to justify scripture somehow. Yeah. But we can be domineering to our wives and tell them they can't wear pants. Yeah. We could treat them like property yeah. because that's what they were. You right. Know, in the Old Testament. Apparently. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, and it's just when you look at that, when you take that point of view, it's still ridiculous because we're not going to. We're not eat. Okay. Okay. Let's say you did that. You got rid of the Sabbath. You got rid of the dietary laws. You got rid of the sacrifices. What are you going to do with all the stonings? <laughs> you know, are you going to, are you going to stone your disobedient children? Really? 
where does it say in the New Testament specifically to stop doing that? <laughs> you know, so I mean that's that's just observe that that line of thinking. You know, you know people that that were sick, people that had diseases, they would just throw them out into the outer skirts of the town, and they wouldn't have any contact with them. No commun no community at all. You were basically dead, but you were living to the people there. We do not do that. You know, and I don't I don't think I've ever heard a single religious person or a pastor, quote unquote, get up and talk about the fact that we should do that because it's written in the law. You know what I mean? But it seems that we like to go to our buffet and say, well, in order to be clean and holy, you need to do this. And then the very next verse says that you shouldn't like pick up a bird's nest or something. But we never preach that verse because it's just it's it's weird. You know, we, we can't. We can't use it on people. You know what I mean? Like it, it's it's one of those. So forgive me for questioning, you know, forgive me for looking at whatever you would call a man of God. Forgive me for looking at that person and, and asking, why are you teaching that? Why are you teaching that? Why are you not teaching Jesus? Why aren't you teaching the finished work of Jesus? Because when I hear something from the law, you know what I think immediately? The law actually incites sin. So if a person's preaching the law constantly, and Romans 7 says that the flesh enjoys the law because it, it, it actually breeds sin when combined with the flesh, and we all still have the flesh, then what's occurring inside that individual? And it's not that I'm judging them. It's just a question as a matter of, do you have what you need, sir? Because it seems that you're not seeing what the law actually does. I know I didn't for a long time. So are you saying we shouldn't preach the law at all? I think we should preach the law lawfully, right? Yeah, exactly. What, what, what Paul says in first or second Timothy, can't remember, but he says the law was not made for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. And it's to expose sin, to increase it, to show them their need for Jesus. But once we have Jesus, we know we no longer have need for the law. The, the Bible is so clear about that. It's explicitly clear. So I would pray. I would say yeah, the same thing. I would say, yeah, we preach law, but in the, in the proper context, we preach the law, how it was supposed to be preached and how it's meant to be preached and how the Bible says we got to preach the, the law. You know, examples are given to me how in in the New Testament, how the apostles and Jesus preached the law. Like, oh, Jesus preached the law. You know, Paul preached the law. Yeah, yeah. Look how they preached the law. Look at the context in which they preached the law. It was to condemn people, you know, in Acts. It, it was preached and it was, it was in your face. It was like, look what you did, you know? Yeah, the law was brought up. Yeah, Jesus brought up the law and he preached it how it should have been preached to condemn people. You know, it was it was never to it was never a, a message of hope and inspiration. <laughs> it was a message of condemnation so that you would turn to Jesus. And that's that's the purpose of the law, you know. And that kind of reminds me of one one encounter Jesus had with somebody, the, the woman who was quote unquote caught in adultery, right? We've labeled her that. John 8, the whole encounter with the Pharisees had occurred. You know, she's on the ground. He has already kind of looked at them and said, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. 
And knowing what they have done, they have sinned, they leave. She, uh, Jesus looks at the woman, you know, he says to her, where are your accusers? And I love the fact that she looks at him. It says that she looks at him after being left alone with Jesus. He says, woman, where are those thine accusers? Have no man condemned thee? She says, no man, Lord. Well, wait a minute. Hold on. You're standing in the presence of the lawgiver, Right? I mean, this isn't just a Pharisee. This is Jesus. This is the lawgiver. He gave the law. She recognizes this. He's the Lord. He's God. No man, Lord. What about that says that Jesus was giving the law as a standard of holiness for people to live by in order to reach this plane of living, right? There was no accusation from Jesus to that woman. He says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, what he didn't do when he said go and sin no more was give her 10 steps on how to do that. You know why? Because she had just encountered the person she needed to encounter in order to go and from her heart, no longer sin. And I'm not saying that she was sinless from that point on. I'm just saying an encounter with Jesus was enough for her to say this life of adultery is not for me. Not anymore. You see, that's what Jesus does. He changes you. But the law makes you look changed. It doesn't change you. It makes you look changed until it finally exposes you. But Jesus doesn't condemn you. And I I just thought that that story fit here because, yes, he did teach the law. Yes, he condemned people with it. Yes, those who were impressed with their own performance, that's what he did. But the people who came to him for help, for grace, he didn't condemn them. He set them free. Looking again at the the question that Hector asked, do we, do we teach, do we preach the Old Testament? Yes, we do. But we have to understand what we're reading. We're not Jews. We're not in the Old Covenant. God has given us a, a new covenant. We, we have a tendency, especially in our culture, to kind of place ourselves in, in the shoes of everybody, every, every TV show, every, every story that you hear, we, we want to place ourselves. And, and that's what, you know, that's, that's essentially, that's what we do. We place ourselves in the shoes of, of the people that we're either reading about, hearing about, watching, whatever it is, but you can't really do that with the old Testament, with the people that are in the old covenant, even, even in with, with the people that are before the old covenant, we we're not them. We weren't included in the Old Covenant. But there was a covenant that was prophesied in the Old Testament that was going to come. And that covenant has come. The person that would bring that covenant has come. And that's the person that Tyler was just talking about. That's Jesus, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Think of, was it Acts? Acts chapter, let me pull it up real quick. Acts chapter 8, where Philip goes into, into the desert. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near, join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him, read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? Wow, isn't that a huge problem? Not understanding what we're reading. But it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. So I'm going to teach it. Well, that's that's what we've heard. It's, it's in the Bible, so I'm going to teach it. 
but you know, the two issues are the ones that we've mentioned already. One, we can't pick and choose. You, you, you can't just pick, pick the, you know, the, the chicken and broccoli and then leave the octopus. No, you have to have them both. Yeah, there's there's the Sabbath. There there is you know wearing clothing of of mixed material. There's yes, the Bible does even have laws about what to do about birds' nests. I mean, I've never heard one Sunday school lesson about that. We we pick and choose. So there's 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 the picking and choosing, and then there's the understanding who is the Bible written to. That's that's like that's that's Bible one hundred and one. What what are you reading? Who's it written to? What is it saying? What is God trying to say here? Understand as thou. What thou readest. And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired to Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And I love this scripture because it talks about Christ. The place of the scripture which he read was this He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb dumb before his shearer. So opened he not his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the the prophet this, of himself or some other man? And Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. That's exactly what, or who rather, Isaiah was prophesying about. The one that would come and bring the new covenant. It's Jesus was not just some point in history. There was something that changed. And what, what changed was the standard of righteousness, if you will. No, that's that's not correct. The standard of righteousness is still the same. But who completes that righteousness, who fulfills that righteousness, that's what changed. It went from us to the Holy Lamb of God, Jesus. The standard of righteousness is still there. You know? So, Uriah and Tyler, I have a question. I have a question for you guys, so... So, you know, of course, you you guys are just rebels, you know, you just you've been you've always been you guys have always been rebels. And, and you know, you just rebelled against the man of God, rebelled against the institution of the church. And, you know, how, you know, once you start down that slippery slope, you know, you're, you're going to keep on going, you know, and before you know it, I mean, evidently the ground hasn't opened yet, you know, on you guys and, and swallowed you guys up. But, you know, how many tattoos, how many, how many piercings do you guys have? How many, how many years, how much drugs have you got, have you guys been using recently? Cause you know, once you leave the church and once you rebel against the man of God, that's, that's your path. You know, once you, once you depart from that standard of righteousness, you know, that's that standard that the church puts in place or the standard that the uh, man of God, the, uh, oh, the, uh, the administrator, of personal righteousness. So once you get away from that, you know, obviously there's no righteousness in your life now, you know. So tell me a little bit about you guys' life and how is it going now that, you know, you, you just gone down the, the slippery slope and just gone away from the church and everything that's good. I'll, I'll I'll tell you, I'll tell you what has changed for me. And, and, where, and where does that and where does that thinking come from? Why? I mean, you know, go ahead. So the biggest thing that changed for me is understanding I'm not a Jew. I'm not a part of the Old Testament. I, I think it's the application that's the biggest difference. His blood is on me. I am holy. You know, there's there's the phrase you're just a sinner saved by grace, but it's it's different. I was a sinner, and then I got saved by grace. Now I am holy, not because of me, not because of my works. Now I am righteous. Now my my old man, my flesh has died. 
and there is a new creature. I am a new creature. Christ lives within me. His spirit lives within me. There's no more sacrifice for sin. I'm a child of God. I am joint heirs with Christ. And this isn't stuff that I'm making up. It's stuff that's always been in the New Testament. But we don't we don't preach that. We don't teach that. So for me, a person that for years and years works so hard, so involved to try to be this person that I was essentially taught to be. The stress that that put on my life, the, the stress that that put on the marriage that I had at that time, no longer married. You ask me or my ex-wife, we'll both tell you the same reason. It wasn't the biggest issue was not finances, children. Certainly we had the same struggles everyone else had. The biggest stress in life was we thought we had to have our own righteousness and put on that righteousness for other people. To go through life with a mask, both in front of other people and worse, at home. And and I'm sure both of you can can testify to, to some extent that same stress that it puts on a relationship. Because you can't be real even at home. You can't be, the biggest thing is you can't be yourself. Because it's, it's when I have to put on my own righteousness, that means that's the lens that I look at everyone else through. If I'm not good enough, how can anyone else ever be good enough? If, if, and, and I'm still working. The problem is there's, there's no end. You know, at least in the Old Testament, there was a standard of what righteousness was. And there were 613 laws. Follow those and you're righteous. And when you fail, well, then you need to go. There's offerings, there's sacrifices, but but here in in institutional, you know, in institutional churches, there is no, there's no end, there's no standard, there's no, you know, here's 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 when you pass go, here's here's when you're good enough. It's not, you know, you if someone would have told me, hey, you need to go visiting for three hours on a weekend and tell people about Christ, or you need to go visiting for 13 hours or, or whether it's 20 hours, a week, whatever it is, if there was an exact standard, I would know what that is. But when there's no standard, you keep going and going and going and going because when is it enough? How many people do you have to tell about Christ and have them pray? Even if they've already told you, they already believe in Christ. Like Tyler, Tyler, we've been out visiting together and we've talked to people who said that, you know, they believe Christ and they went to a church, but it was it was the wrong church. Why was it the wrong church? There's no real good reason. The only good reason is that it wasn't our church. So we have to get them, quote unquote, saved again. They have to pray again because they're, they're not righteous. According to who? According to what I've been told that standard of righteousness is. It's what I'm being taught because I'm still a sinner. I, I'm, I'm still a sinner. I'm saved by grace, but I'm still a sinner. So I still have to work. I still have to go home and 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 put these standards on on family and and as as though every little thing careful careful what you say because that might be taken a, a way that's not righteous. Be be careful how you act. Be careful what you laugh at. That might be considered unrighteous. Be be careful who you li- literally who you hang around. You you mean you call you know, work friends after after work is oh, you're hanging around with sinners. Like you know, you know. I know you said they got saved, but you know they don't go to our church, right? You know they don't go to our church. 
Like that's who you're hanging around. That's who you want to be more like. That's that's and and having and that those are just a couple examples. So when you have that kind of a stress upon upon your life, it, it's very different than the lens where I know what I've done. I know that I will never be good enough in my own right. However, Jesus, he loved me so much that he left heaven, came here to earth, died for me. He tells me he is the way, the truth, and life. He is life. When I understand that I can never be good enough, but I am good enough, I am holy, I am righteous, I am a child of God, that, that I am, the, 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 just, just the word holy, we, we, you know, we were talking about that a little bit ago. I am holy? Like, that's a dangerous word in the Old Testament. The presence of God? I am holy? Not because of me? Not because of the things that my mind has thought about, my eyes have looked at, my words have said, the actions I've done, the things I've committed? Not because of me, but I am holy because of him. That, my friend, is called mercy and grace. When I understand that love, that grace, that mercy that God has given to me, only then can I begin to look at other people. Only then can I can someone begin to look at a spouse. Only then can someone begin to look at their child. Only then can someone begin to look at their brothers and their sisters in Christ and look at them and say, you are enough. I, I know you're not perfect. You know, maybe you were, you know, the one that was demon possessed. Maybe you were the one that used to be a harlot. Maybe you were the one that's done all of these things. Maybe you were the one that had these these weird affections. But you are enough, not because of you, but because of Christ, because Christ's blood. You You said you believe in Christ, right? That means Christ's blood is upon you. And now you, my friend, are holy. You are enough. I am enough. You are enough. How can someone ever begin to love until they can look at God and understand how much God loves them? That, that Christ died for us in that while we were yet while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the freedom. That is the grace. That is the love. That is the peace that I got once I realized what Christ has actually done for me. It wasn't a ticket that I prayed, you know, when I prayed at the age of eight and all of a sudden, okay, now that means I get to heaven. It's not just that. It's also the fact that, yes, yes, as I believe in Christ, because I'm a new creature, because I'm a new creature, sin is no longer the same. I cannot do the things that I used to do. It, it's, it no longer has the same effect. It is dead. Even if I sin, it's dead. It, it, it doesn't fulfill any... It, it it fulfills nothing. It's it that I no longer have the desire for it. That I mean, man, I I wish that people will would be able to see your face while you were saying this and 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 really hear you because because what I hear is like oh, okay, there's just you're just believing like that because you just want to live in your sin. You just want to not have any rules. You don't want to have any standards. You want to have no no personal righteousness, and you just want to live in sin. Did Jariah just sound right? Did he mention anything about sin? Did you sound like somebody that wants to live in sin? 
No, you sound like somebody that has been set free. We still love, we love Jesus. We love Jesus. We're not trying to say, oh, don't obey the law and, and, you know, you shouldn't have any rules and standards and regulations in your life because we're rebels and, and we don't, we just don't want to obey rules and we just don't want to obey standards. No, 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 no. We love Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. We're not using Jesus as an excuse to sin more. You know, you're right. I mean, it's amazing what God has done in your life. And it's amazing when we come to that understanding of of Jesus is enough. We come to that understanding of the new covenant and what it really is and what it really means to us. It's pretty amazing. Tyler, I ask you the same question. How has it changed for you? My marriage is better. That's how sinful I am. My children have a dad who's home. About five times more than I used to be. That's how sinful I am. I, my boss has a, an employee that works harder because he's actually awake instead of overworked. That's how sinful I am. The world around me recognizes that I'm a Jesus follower and I love Jesus without me having to shove it in their face with a piece of paper every time I see them. That's how sinful I am. I realized that I had a new nature and that I don't want to sin. But sin doesn't necessarily mean breaking some arbitrary law that Israel had. You know, the the New Testament says that sin is a transgression of the law. But the fact of the matter is I'm so sinful that I died to the law with Jesus. So when he rose again, I rose with him. And guess what? I'm in him. There is in him is no sin. He took away my sin. That's how sinful I am. I realize that I don't need to go to church to be right with God. I don't need to tithe to be right with God. I don't need to make my wife not wear a certain type of clothing to be right with God. I don't need to preach for 45 minutes three times a week to a bunch of people that don't want to hear it anyways to be right with God. I don't, I don't need to do any of those things. That's how sinful I am. I'm dead to those rules and regulations, those standards and laws, and I'm alive with God in Jesus. It makes you recognize how much God actually loves you instead of looking at you like, a, like an angry parent who's got his report card out and he's going to spank you if you don't do right. Nobody, nobody likes that. That brings fear. That brings resentment. That brings, I don't know about you guys, but... Growing up, I had a hard time with that. I had a hard time with teachers chasing me down the hallway. Can't wait to give me. They could not wait to give me demerits for having my shirt tail untucked. The truth is, and I'm going to quote, let's see, I'm going to quote the cure really quick. The law makes rebels out of those who want to love and be loved. When I entered religion, I wanted to be loved and I wanted to love. But you know what it eventually made me? In the law and religion made me want to say, I don't want this anymore. It made me a rebel to those rules because guess what? It always condemned me. But when I ran to Jesus instead of another set of rules, right? I found acceptance. I found joy. I found peace. I found love. I found righteousness. I found 
all the things that belong to Jesus were mine. And that made me want to go sin more. No. It made me want to leave my wife. No. It made me want to go drink alcohol to the point where I'm rip-roaring drunk and passing out in the middle of my front lawn because I can't control myself. No. And what happens is religion tells you that's what's going to happen. You follow Jesus and only Jesus. You're going to go rape your daughter, somebody said on a podcast about, you know, people who don't follow the law of Moses. You're kidding me, right? Maybe that's what you would do, but not not somebody with Jesus. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's so sinful that I just want Jesus. I don't want to judge people. I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to look at people with a condescending manner. I want to do what Jesus did. I want to tell the religious Pharisee sitting there in John chapter three. I want to be able to look at that guy in the eyes and say, yeah, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save it. He came to bring life and righteousness, peace with God. And let me tell you, this is what changed for me. The biggest thing probably. Romans chapter five, verse one. That's an incredible passage. Therefore, being now justified by his blood, we have peace with God. Not peace from God. Peace with God. I can look at God and say, there is no odds between me and you. We're not at odds. We're not in disagreement. You're not mad at me. You're not frustrated with me. You're not upset with me. He patiently loves us. He cares for us. And there's peace. And that'll make you want to go sin more, right? That's unbelievable. And I don't think anybody that will, that listens to this podcast would say, those guys are just rebels and they just believe like that because they just want to sin more and they don't want to be told what to do. They just want to sin more. That's that's amazing. I have one more question for both both of you. And it, it, okay, so what would you say? Okay. All right, just real quick. So what would you say to somebody that says, I'm 100% agree with you guys, you guys, and everything you guys say is true. I'm still in my institutional church. I still have a man of God. I still listen to him. I still go out sewing. I still go out on my bus ride. I still tithe. I still do all these things. And I don't really see the difference between you guys and what we do. What would you say to that? There's several differences. One is why I do what I do. You know, when, when I was on the bus route, there are days, there were days that I didn't want to go. Why did I do it? It wasn't just because it was a responsibility. It was because of the things that, that we would, especially those of us that, that, that were bus captains, leaders, that we would think. Maybe not publicly. No, that's not true. Because in private, there's, there's always these subliminal things that are said. Like, dude, half your workers didn't show up. Or this particular person didn't show up. When are they going to get all in? When are when are they going to get it? What what is there to get? And and the thinking was what we were taught in college: full time Christian service, giving your life to Christ. And by that they meant working the rest of your life for Christ because of what He has done for you. And yes, there are things that I do for Christ. I still do things for Christ. The difference is that then I looked at it as a debt, a debt that I had to pay to Christ, a debt that is a debt that I cannot pay. The problem with the only problem with that is what Christ did for us. It's it's not a debt. 
if it was a debt, then what he did was, was not a gift. It was a loan. He loaned me righteousness, and now I have to pay it back. But that's not what Christ did. It was a gift, the gift of God. You know, what would you say to somebody that says, you know, yeah, I tithe, I go to a church, I follow my man of God, I, I go bus calling, I do all these things, but I see everything you guys are saying is good. Yes, I don't do all those things for righteousness. I just do those things because I like to, and I don't see much difference between you guys and us. If that's what you feel like you should do, then I, I would do it. I mean, that's not that's not what I chose, but that doesn't mean that you you don't have to not choose that. Go bus calling. Go go to a, an institution if you want to. Go to Sunday school, teachers meeting. Go to every youth conference. Work on the youth conference committee. Become an adult Sunday school teacher. Sit on the platform. But you need to realize that none of those things matter when it comes to God. He didn't ask you to do any of it. He canceled your debt. So what you really need to realize is that that's a hobby. That's not something you're doing for God. You're doing, you're doing something you enjoy, and there's nothing wrong with that. But do not hold those things as a standard to someone else saying that you have to do these to be righteous. That's a lie. You do not have to do those. If you did, you would go to hell for not doing them. The thing we need to realize is that you are free. We are free to do as the Spirit leads. And it's interesting that the fruit of the Spirit expresses itself in attributes. Love is an attribute. Love has a million and a half different actions to it. But it's all expressed differently through each of us, you know, and Jesus is capable of sorting all this stuff out. I don't need to be the standards police. You don't need to be the standards police. We weren't able to meet the standard and therefore God sent a substitute, not a goal. Jesus is not the goal. He's our substitute. So we need to realize that we are free because of that. We're not trying to meet a goal. The goal has been met in our substitute. He stood in our place. So we don't have to stand there. We don't stand there. And I say that with love for a lot of people that I know that are still doing all that stuff. I think there's one thing I really want to clear up is like, you say, but we won't reach people with the gospel. Can I explain that I've reached over 10 million people with the gospel in the past six months? You'll reach people with the gospel. Don't worry. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not about you going bus calling. It's about Christ in you doing what he does best. I mean, you can't say any better than that. And that's, that's a, that's a big difference. I mean, that's awesome. I believe, man, if I could just get that across, we're not trying to sin more. We're not trying to commit. No, we love God. We still want to reach the world. We still want the gospel. That's why we're on here. You know, that's why we do this. You know, that's why the ministry that the ministry that we do, why we do it, because that's what we're not called to do. Maybe I guess you could say we're called to do, but that's what we want to do. Christ in us wants to express himself through us. Whatever that looks like, however that looks like, whatever that is, he wants to express himself through us. And that's what we're doing. And we're just expressing Jesus and plus nothing, Christ alone, you know, apart from the law, he is enough. 